My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm joined by Carol Petridis, who's our modern pastoral intern, by Pastor Laura Bird, um, and by Vaughn Faison, who is our director of modern worship. Um, and this morning, we are having a conversation entitled First Impressions. And so I want to open up with just a simple question What is the first impression? Well, for me, it's when I meet someone. And maybe other people don't do this, and maybe this is weird, um, but I will um, try to connect them to someone else that I have experienced. So let's say that I meet someone that's very bubbly and um, just giggly and excited about everything, then I just immediately assume that they're an extrovert and they love to go to parties because other people that I have met like that uh, also meet those characteristics. So it's just sort of me getting that first look of who is this person? Uh, what is this person about? What is this person like? What, how, what are they into type of thing? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's, you know, a lot of times, of course, very superficial, right? We, we're, we're kind of looking for things to, to categorize. I think humans have a um, unique ability um, as we've evolved to look at something and categorize it, put it in a box, um, because it helps us, right? It helps us navigate life. I think you were saying something about that, Vaughn, earlier. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we don't fit in boxes. But for first impressions, I, yeah, that's kind of what I do is, all right, here's the box this person fits in. Yeah. And I think um, first impressions really play into uh, the fact that at our base, we are still kind of animals, you know, yeah. and, uh-huh. and, there's a, and there's a need to, like you were saying, be able to categorize. Um, Is this person a threat? Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Sure. And, you know, just to be able to, like you were saying, to find some kind of box that we feel that someone fits into. And I think a thing that I've, over time, have really come to change my feelings on is that first impressions aren't necessarily you know, who someone is, Mm. but who we perceive them to be. Oh, yes. Um, So, yeah, that's been... Well, and and researchers are kind of up in the mix on this, but there are some... Princeton researchers say we make a first impression within one-tenth of a second of meeting somebody. Other researchers say, okay, well, no, it takes two to three seconds, and some are like, no, it takes up to 30 seconds. But statistically, when we, for lack of a better word, when we judge someone Mm. in that initial impression we are right 76% of the time. Wow. Right? Um, and that is a judgment on body language, right? Mm. The, the way that people are dressed and how they come across. And so that initial first impression is really important, right? Um, and, and you're right, right? It's part of the way we perceive people as a threat or not a threat or whether or not um, we feel safe with that person. Mm. Um, but first impressions now are more than just an initial meeting, right? Anybody who has anybody in their lives who is in the online dating sphere knows that people now have to make first impressions based off of your profile pictures. Yeah, I have to say that I think it's the world has changed in that a lot of times people meet people over their Facebook page or their Instagram and they decide who they are. I mean, just as an example, um, one of my best friends is Vaughn's partner, Gabby Carr, and um, he was here two years before she came down. And 
I remember being like, oh my God, I'm so excited to like meet her. I've heard so much about her. And so I went on her Instagram and I was like, oh, okay, she's artsy and she's this and she's that. And I almost got a little intimidated. And then of course, she's like the nicest, coolest person in the world. Um, but that was my first go-to, to figure out who she was. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so first impressions now happen on a storefront, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, of course, right, the first impressions we have not just of people, but of spaces, mm. right? Um, you read about a company online or you read about a church online and you have an initial impression of who they are and what they stand for, right? We have broadened out what that first impression kind of looks like. Um, and I think because we are right so often in those first impressions, right? 76% is a passing grade, right? Um, that there is this piece, and Vaughn, you've already kind of talked about it, of, oh, well, I meet a first impression. That is my impression of who somebody is. It's not necessarily who they are. Mm. There's a 24% chance, right, that we're wrong. I think that's the harder piece is as we try to judge who somebody is based off of this initial meeting or of this initial perusing Mm -hmm. of their online media profile, we really are trying to get a value judgment of somebody, right? You could scale it one to 10, right? Like, oh, right, this is a seven. This is a person I really like. I think I wanna hang out with them some more, right? Or no, this is a one. I, I saw this company make the news, big oil spill, not a big fan, right? Like we make these value judgments. And so I wonder how much of that we also then turn to our faith, our church lives as we seek you know, a first impression of who somebody is or what they're about in that way as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think that our, our faith is sometimes put into that, that first impression category. I, I know for me, the way that I grew up in a more fundamentalist environment that I had a very strong first impression of who Jesus was Mm -hmm. and who God is. And I sort of grew up thinking that God was more on the wrathful sides, almost like a a punisher, Mm -hmm. Um, even though... In my teens or so, I started to think, no, that doesn't exactly feel right. Mm. But again, that was the first impression that was sort of held up for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because a lot of our first impressions as younger people are things that our parents tell us sure. before we arrive somewhere, mm-hmm. right? All right, well, you're about to meet your aunt, okay? Um, she can be a little overbearing, right? <laughs> like, and so they start trying to prepare you for this encounter with this aunt or somebody that you've never met before, right? So your first impression is colored by their impression, right? And we do that, I think, with our faith, especially as younger people, right? Our faith is shaped in some way by the people that we respect around us who say, oh, well, this is what God is like. Mm -hmm. This is how you should read this. This is the interpretation of this. And then it colors what we know, what we learn, Mm -hmm. and then how we grow from there. Sure. I was similar to you, Carol, that um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist context. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister and was one of those yelling at the pulpit with like spitting kind of dudes. And um, so I just, that was kind of what I pictured God like. Sure. Just angry about our sin, and that was it. Like, that was all it was about. Um, And I had this, I think I had this kind of first impression 
of God for a very, very long time, like years and years as I was going to church and trying to understand who God was. But I was just listening to those people who had experienced God, and I finally said, hey, maybe I should try to experience God in my own way. And then I, I got my own impression of who God is. And then when other people start telling me about who God is, I can say, actually, that is not my God. Um, but it's only after I stopped just listening to other people's impressions of God and experienced it myself, built a relationship. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge with the first impression, right? If all we ever walked away with was a first impression of somebody, we'd be really missing out, right? We miss the depth of who they are. It is as we then dig into those relationships, sometimes we find out, right, there's layers to people we didn't even expect. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, we thought this person was just really silly and kind of goofy. Turns out, very intelligent, right, very thoughtful, um, provides, the, you know, and you, you dig deep into the layers of something. I think that's the same thing. We have this first impression of God that typically, you know, a lot of us received in childhood. Some people encounter God in their adulthood, and then they really begin to dig into, well, who is God? How do I see God in the scriptures? How does God play out? And I think that then turns into um, a lasting impression. Mm-hmm. So I, I use that terminology, lasting impression. What do you think the difference between a first impression and a lasting impression is? Being known, I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think being loved by God is being known by God. And you can't be known truly in one encounter. We are, I have to stop myself so much because I try to make people so much more simple than they are. And everything really, not just people. But reminding myself that people are complex, maybe not all people, but most people are complex and nuanced, and there's much more there than we think. Can you think of somebody in their personal lives that has left a lasting impression, something that just stuck? A parent, a grandparent, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, a step-parent, right, a cousin, somebody who just left a significant, lasting impact? That either changed your life, changed the direction of your life, or maybe changed the direction of your family in some way? You know, when you're asking that and the question before, I was thinking about um, my small group. And we started several years ago, and I think about on that very first night. So on the small group kickoff night, for those of you who haven't done it, you're assigned a group and you're sitting in a circle of, of strangers. And I made all of these first impressions, probably 12 first impressions, that I decided, well, this person is a very corporate business person, this person is very quiet, this person is this, this person is this. And over a number of years, of course, I have learned that none of them were really exactly what I thought. There was so, so much more. And I think talking about lasting impressions This group of people, this group of friends have made a lasting impression on me. They are the ones that are there to take me to doctor's appointments. They are the ones that I meet up with for lunch. They are the ones that have helped me go through life. And the lasting impression was much different than the first impression on that original night. Yeah, and I think that lasting impression 
like we've all kind of been saying, has so much depth to it. Mm -hmm. um, when I have that chance to really take in everything, and there's a lot of work involved too, right? I think internal work of just recognizing like, oh hey, maybe when I see a person that displays this kind of characteristic, I automatically assume them to be such and such, you know? Um, so that internal work and that external work of being vulnerable enough to have, you know, a relationship with mm -hmm. the person. Yeah. Because I think you can't necessarily reach that depth. Because some people, you know, there's, there's a guard up. Mm -hmm. um, and sure. you might not get past that first impression if someone isn't willing to um, open up and if you're not willing to reach yeah. out to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, or if your personality is like somebody else's that hurt them in the past, right? Oh, there's, yeah. There's a guard there of like, well, Definitely. I've seen this before, right? Mm -hmm. And you're a completely different person mm -hmm. right, that has no relation to that other person, but yet, right? Um, I get that a lot um, when I tell people I'm a pastor, right? Especially in um, communities of people who have deconstructed out of faith or who have been hurt by Christians in the church, right? They're like, oh, you're one of those, right? Um, and I have to put like an asterisk and like, well... I mean, yes and no, right? If you want to have a more nuanced conversation, yes. If you just don't want to talk to a pastor, that's okay too, right? But um, there, there is a guard, I think, when people have seen, well, it's like, I've seen this before, right? Mm -hmm. I know what to expect from here. And yet, we often show up in unexpected places as well. Sure. Well, I think that leads us um, kind of in a perfect segue into the scripture this morning. Um, we're in John 1, um, starting in verse 35. And it is... Um, John's telling of how the disciples end up coming to Jesus. So, Carol, will you read our scripture this morning? Sure. Uh, the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, "Come and see." They came and saw, and where came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, "We have found the Messiah," which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, to, Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. 
I love um, John's telling of the gathering of the disciples um, because it's almost this like come and see moment, right? The disciples keep finding each other and like come and see this. Um, and it's almost based off of their initial first impressions, but it also has all of the nuances of the conversation we had this morning. It starts with John, right, telling two of his disciples, look, here is the Lamb of God. And based off of John's telling of who Jesus is, much like our parents going, okay, when you meet your great aunt, okay, I just want you to know, here's some things just to prepare for, right? It's John saying, this is the Lamb of God, right? Um, I've seen it, right? I, I know it. This is it. And based off of John's witness, they go. And they have this come and see moment. And I think so often in our culture, we get lost in the come and see moments because through advertising and other things, we get told, right, come and see. But the most powerful things, the things that garner lasting energy and attention are things where somebody else said, hey, I don't know if you have read this book yet, but you really should. I think you'd really like it, right? Or have you seen this movie come out? And there are um, some things that are just so good that you just have to go and get people to come and see. And so I I love this moment that happens in this scripture um, and that reminder of like, come and see this, come and and be a part of this. Um, It's the thing that we're striving to be as a church, right? Come and see this community of people, come and be a part of this. This is something special. This is something unique. You haven't seen this before. Come and see. And I think there are movements like that. I think there are churches like that. I think there are movies and books and things that like, I just need you to be a part of this. Come and see. And I I love the way that it plays out in the scriptures like that as well this morning. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something that the word magnetic comes to mind because there are these attractions of disciples that sort of sort of happen here. Um, and yeah, I think that that is something that we see play out in real, real time. Um, we see these powerful shows that they stand above the rest. You know, they're magnetic. Um, you know, Ted Lasso, you've got to see Ted Lasso. And, and it, it changes um, kind of your thoughts on television. There's, there's those magnetic things. And I think when we're talking about God, there is this magnetic property, I guess, that you could say that there is a love that God gives that you can find nowhere else. It stands above the rest. And that, that's sort of what I think here when it's like, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is something that you cannot find anywhere else. And I think it's so powerful when you have that come and see moment and then you get there and you're like, oh, this is actually everything that I yes. you know, hoped <laughs> yes. it would be. Uh-huh. And, you know, um, so that is also something that mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Yeah. About well, because there's nothing worse than when somebody invites you to come and see and you're like, oh, <laughs> right? and then you got to kind of be like, this is not as cool as you thought it was, right? Like, so I think that's, that's really powerful um, to be able to have this first impression that is like this magnetic thing mm-hmm. and then to show up and say, oh, wow, this does go really deep and this is just as exciting as I thought it would be. Um, yeah, and I think we, as modern readers and seeing through modern eyes, we you know, really lose touch at how just miraculous this text is because they have been waiting Mm -hmm. for thousands of years 
right? The Jewish people were just waiting and waiting and waiting for the anointed one, the Messiah. Could be this person, it could be that person. And so I, I think a lot about, it's Andrew, right, that goes to Peter? Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot about what that was like when Andrew came up to Peter and was like, I found him. This is him. I feel like, I don't know how Peter responded, because it, I mean, basically says, he didn't say much about mm-hmm. how Peter responded. I just have a feeling that Peter was probably like, okay, <laughs> sure you did, buddy. You know, sure you did, brother. I'm sure you found the Messiah that we've been waiting for for thousands of years. And then you go and, and it's real. Yeah. I just, I think we forget how long they have been waiting for this person. Well, and there is this, this perfect example, too, in the scripture this morning of the first impression leading to the lasting impression. At the beginning of the scriptures, when the disciples first encountered Jesus, they call him rabbi, right? Teacher, right? Where are you staying? Right? Where are you dwelling? Right? They follow him. He asks why they're They say, where are you dwelling? And the, the Greek word there, right, is actually a word that means, like, where are you staying? And it implies forever. Implied what? It implies forever. Right, where are you staying oh. forever? And the, the interesting juxtaposition there is the what, what Jesus responds with is like, not, well, oh, I'm staying at this house over there. And he says, come and see. And ultimately, we know that he's going to dwell with the disciples, right? And that's going to be where he dwells. But it's this kind of hint into the future. And as they progress through these short verses that Carol read, as they spend time with Jesus, as they get into those layers, they stop calling him rabbi and they start calling him Messiah. Mm. And, and that's when they also then say, well, come and see, mm-hmm. come and see, come and see. This is more than just a teacher. This is more than just your regular run-of-the-mill person. There's something really special here. I think that's, gosh, what an important lesson for us as a community when we see people or meet people um, that need community instead of saying, hey, I... You know, I go to Grace Avenue and it's like this and like that. Saying, come, come with me and see. I think so often we're part of a community and we see these people that need a community and we're just like, cool. But we don't invite them in to come. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of when I'm trying to recommend something to someone, I try not to give too much of a lead mm-hmm. because I don't want to color it too much. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's so great about come and see it's like okay i i do think that this thing is important but i also think that you should just experience it for yourself so that you can make your impression yeah because we've all watched a trailer of a movie and said man that'd be a real cool movie too bad they showed us everything in the trailer right and then we just decided not to go watch it and so i think you're exactly right of um the times where i'm more willing to go is when somebody says or to do Hey, I want you to read this. Well, what's it about? I, I don't want to give away too much. I just want you to read it. And I mean, okay, well, I might actually do that. As opposed to the person who goes, well, it starts off in a country village, and there's this and, and that, and then, you know, she ends up in love with a beast, and then you're like, is this Beauty and the Beast? I'm like, well, see, I've given away the whole story now, right? Um, I don't want to go and see that, right? I, I, I've been there before. So I, I do think there's something about the intrigue as well, Vaughn. I like that you brought that up. So I guess the, the thing that, that sticks with me in the come and see moment is all of us have things in our lives where we haven't really wanted someone to come and look. 
And yet then too, there are also things that like, you know, we're, we're comparing some of this stuff to movies a lot. So forgive me for the movie references. There are, um, you know, people in the scriptures in Jesus's life who um, see Jesus and don't recognize the Messiah, who don't recognize what is in front of them at the moment. Um, and we've done that before too in modern days with movies and other things. Um, I think of a, a really uh, special movie that um, we watch a lot of us every year. But when it went into the box office, it flopped. It did so poorly in the box office um, that for a while there was an argument about who owned the movie. Mm. Right? Well, no, you own it. It's yours. Well, no, you own it. It's yours. And while it was being argued about, nobody really owned it. And so they started just playing it on TV because TV stations could play it without having to pay for it because nobody owned it. Mm -hmm. And now most everybody watches it every year, right? It's the movie. It's a wonderful life. Mm. Right. And at the time, nobody liked it. It wasn't. And now everybody's like, well, have you seen it's a wonderful life? Right. I hadn't seen it until like two years ago. And somebody was like, you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? You, you have to see it. it. So it's a Christmas classic. I was yeah. like, no, Rudolph is a Christmas classic, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I think there's this, this moment of life always where when we are faced with something, we have to decide, is this important or not? Is this life-changing or not? And, and that's what happens to the disciples. It's what's offered to everybody that encounters Jesus. And yet, because they experience in a different way, whether they are open to God arriving or whether they are closed to the arrival of God, they experience Jesus in a different way. And so I think it's that same moment of, well, come and see, but how are you going to see it? I think there's some nuance there. All right, final thoughts. First impressions, lasting impressions, come and see. I think as uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is on my mind, um, as it is tomorrow, just thinking about, you know, the civil rights era and all of the important figures. And I think in some ways, like how in that time and how in recent times, there can be a lack of depth with how they are explained or mm. what people think that their beliefs were or the things that they did or, or spoke about. Um, so it's just a reminder to me to, you know, go back and, and see what really was there. Um, you know, like I think a lot of people, you know, know the I Have a Dream speech but don't necessarily know letters from Birmingham jail. Um, so it's, it's trying to get this whole picture um, that we can get when we have a real come and see moment. We get to really evaluate these things for ourselves um, without the coloration of someone else's uh, mm, thought. Yes, I like that. I think too, uh, you know, every year on MLK weekend, um, I read the letters of the Birmingham jail. Right? Yes. I don't go back and read the I have a dream speech um, because I find a Conviction for myself mm -hmm. in the letters of the Birmingham jail. And if you've never read it, um, it it's worth reading. Uh, on my computer, when I pull it up, it's, you know, 10, spa 10 pages single-spaced. Right? Um, but there was this reminder in it of um, Dr. King calling out Christians who refused to come and see. Right? In, in Micah 6, 8, we were reminded that what does the Lord require of us but to do justice, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with our God. And in that, that letter, the come and see moment was this reminder that there were too many people in um, white churches, too many pastors, Dr. King says, who said, you know, um, what you're trying to do right now is untimely and not right. And that this is uh, not biblical, what you're preaching. This is just social justice stuff, and it has no place in what we're trying to do. And he said, you know, when you are standing on the sidelines, when I'm saying come and see injustice, come and see hurt, come and see pain, come and see people crying out to God for deliverance, and you say, well, this is untimely, then you're actually part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And so the, the I have a dream speech is a reminder to dream. It's a reminder that sometimes um, it is in our dreaming and our imagining that we can see the kingdom of God, the world that God is seeking to create in which all people are welcome to the table. And yet you can be a stumbling block or you can be the one welcoming. Um, and there's that reminder in that too. And so I think of the, you know, when we talk about lasting impressions, there are, there are people in the world who had such a profound impact on the world that they're talked about all over the world. Um, people like Dr. King. So um, I appreciate you bringing him up this morning as well. Yeah, I would, I would say my final thought sort of surrounds the idea of these layers that we get through when we are in community with one another. And when we are in a community that is surrounded or focused on Jesus, what a life-changing love and experience that that is. And so as I think about uh, one of the announcements that I made, the opportunity to be a part of a small group, the opportunity to really get connected to the magnetizing force that is Jesus, I just want to invite us all to, to do that, to have that connection, to experience that depth so that we can get to know not only the layers of the people around us, but the layers of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, just final thought that in this come and see um, attitude paradigm, um, it, it really does fit into um, our social justice um, and working to eradicate white supremacy um, because we can only see what we cannot see unless we listen to those who it's happening to, right? So come and see is not just an invitation to be part of a community or, or whatever. It's also an invitation to understand someone's world and understand what they're going through, understand what their life is like, understand what it, what it feels like to live in a black body in a white supremacist society. Um, come and see is an invitation to be able to be in that person's shoes so that you aren't the stumbling block. Um, and that, that's really powerful to me. So, Well, it has been a great conversation this morning. I appreciate everybody's um, vulnerability and openness. Um, as always, we want to continue the conversation. And so we'll be around after the service. If you are joining us online, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to message us directly or to email us. Um, we always want to continue the conversation um, whether it's about the scriptures or you have a question about something we said um, or maybe you have a disagreement with something that we said. Um, we always want to continue
continue that conversation in a powerful way. And yes. so we hope that you will um, come, and see. Yeah, come <laughs> and see. Come, come and talk. talk. <laughs> um, and we'll be around after the service for that as well. So thank you, everybody.